0: Are you ready to start living richer? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Live Richer podcast, hosted by Jamie Catmull, a podcast created for people to challenge and manage their ideas of wealth, culture, and money across the world, bringing you the best personal finance advice to make more, save more, and live richer. Now, here's your host, Jamie Catmull.
1: Some say that money can't buy happiness. Even so, Luis Barajas is about to take us on a transformative journey into personal finance and its relationship with happiness. Luis is a wealth and business manager to Latino entertainers and executives, a podcast host, an author of several books, and an advocate for underserved communities. Luis also shares the common financial traps that many of us all fall into, and the vital connection between our financial goals and our core values. Money is not just about accumulating wealth, but enhancing your life's quality and striving to live richer. Annie offers guidance to trust your gut, prioritize transparency, and cultivate honest financial relationships. Louis, I'm so excited to have you on the show.
0: How are you doing? Jamie, I'm probably more excited. And thank you. I've been following your podcast for a while now. And when I saw that you invited me, I was, uh, I I, I ran and told my wife, I guess, guess who just invited me to their podcast. So trust me, I'm just as excited.
1: Well, I'm excited to have you here because there's a question I've been wanting to know on your website. It says, you have a quote on there It says your relationship with money is a reflection of your relationship with yourself and those around you. I want to know first what that really means and how did you come up with that?
0: I started in financial planning back in the 80s, hated it because it was all sales, left it, ended up at a big firm to get my CPA license in Newport Beach, California. And everybody who's listening to me, I I grew up in Boyle Heights, Los Angeles, which is one of the roughest neighborhoods in all of Southern California. And eventually I made my way back through personal tragedy. And I realized back then, this is back in the 80s when I made the decision and back I started my firm in '90. 91, I had thought that poor people were poor because they lacked financial literacy, okay? And that was the most difficult lesson to learn that when I went back, and just share with you, the numbers were like, I went back to this Latino community where back then 60% of all Latinos were unbanked. Forget about investing, they were just unbanked, like no checking account, no savings account, okay? I, I went back and then I realized, oh my God, this is kid from East LA who grew up and went to UCLA, got his MBA from Claremont Graduate School, who studied there with Peter Drucker, who became a CFP, who had worked with some of the wealthiest people in the world at Newport Beach, California, and I'm heading back and they lack financial literacy, there was no book, and then I realized, oh my god, no amount of financial literacy is going to help a community in poverty. It was a mindset. And so this whole concept of mindset, everybody talks about it now. There's a huge behavioral finance kind of Right now, everybody platform, everybody's written books on behavioral finance. Well, I found out about it back in 90 when I went back to this community. I realized financial literacy was going to be it. And I realized that one of the mindsets was that people didn't take what was in front of them. Like all the graffiti was coming from the inside was a reflection. If like their lives, were n- nobody was doing anything to them. It was what they were doing to themselves through their minds that was a reflection of how what their beliefs. So the very first book I wrote was called "The Latino Journey to Financial Greatness," which is uh, overcoming limiting and cultural beliefs about money. But what I have found is that all wealth—again, there have been tons of books written about this—you know, in two thousands and twenties and thirties—but all wealth begins in the mind, and what is what you have outside your your um, relationships with your spouse or who you selected as your spouse was your level of self-esteem inside, what you believe to be true inside. And so I, this whole financial life planning movement, you know, they talk about how they were, you know, they wrote books on it. I had to live it because nobody in the community that I went back to help had any money. So I really had to focus on really extracting what was internally sabotaging their success from relationships to money to health to spirituality all coming from the inside that was the hardest thing and and it's been a lifelong journey and try to figure out i know i can't but if i could how do i make that process where people can uh become self-aware self-aware of what what their true beliefs are what their values are and and um what they've been told jamie so for example in my community that i grew up in there would occasionally be students that would make it out now, the high school that I went to had a sixty seven percent dropout rate, and oh very few kids ever made it through college, but their kids that were just automatically just kind of did it on their own like i did they, they were really good at at um at trying to get out of that community right and and trying to help other people, but they already had the mindset, but the rest of the kids didn't have the mindset, and so that's what all my books, my books are about mindset. They have nothing to do with finance. So when I speak, I talk about truth, awareness, responsibility, and courage. All progress starts by telling the truth. Awareness, you cannot change what you don't acknowledge. Responsibility is the responsibility, not reactability. And it's a formula that, that they use called RPO. So, and the C is courage and confidence. And so that is my whole life's journey. And that's what all my content is about, working with people in communities of color.
1: You mentioned how the mindset of like victim or I can't get out of this or the system is causing my life to be this way. We hear that a lot. How do you change that mindset when society now even tells us that all these things are against me and keeping me from achieving what maybe this person over there has in Beverly Hills or Newport Beach, right? So how do you get out of that mindset of feeling like a victim or feeling trapped?
0: right? So that's a very complicated question you just asked, but I will share with you that it's very simple in this day and age to say, you're right, Obama, Trump, Biden, the reason why I'm poor, poor the the man's in charge, there's this, uh, everybody, right? But that's still a mindset because here's what I have known to be true. I left a big firm in Newport Beach, California, Kenneth Leventhal, to go back to the barrio made a commitment on September 8th, 1990, the day that my first daughter was born. And I started working with people who couldn't even afford to pay me, Jamie, who paid me with food. Can I pay you with food? And they'd go home and they'd bring me this plate of enchiladas and rice. And I'm being serious now. And it wasn't like a one-time thing. It was constant with a lot of people that was helping in this community when I went back. And they were living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, and they were like, you know, we have like in several stages, we have survival, struggle, stability, success, and then significance, right? Or I call greatness in my book. They were in the survival mode, just above a little bit above survival. And I got them to put money away. They didn't have, it, when people tell me that they need to do a budget, I don't even believe in budgets. I'm telling you right now, I don't believe in budgets. I think bu- budgets are a bunch of bullshit. Budgets are great when you're doing a retirement plan. to know how much my client needs to spend when, so we can prepare something. And that's it. You don't have to do it again. I got them to put money away and sacrifice, whether it was $5 or $10, it was the act of. It was the act of saving and doing it automatically and taking it away from all their, excuse my language, bullshit excuses that we had all been told about. I now, Jamie, can tell you as of an experiment for 35 years that I have clients from the body who were extremely poor, who now today to this day have $700,000, $900,000, 1000000 million in, in retirement. Because you know what? It takes years to put this money away. And, and they just did an automatic pilot. And, and let me tell you, when I met with them, they didn't have any money. Now, here's the interesting part, Jamie. I now work with really super wealthy individuals, uh, Latino entertainers. I'm also known as a business manager and some of the most iconic. Who are making a million, two million, five million, ten million. And guess what? They're living paycheck to paycheck. They're living contract to contract. And so you realize that no matter how much money, but you say, but hold on. I can't live. I can barely pay my rent. And when they said, pay yourself first pay yourself first. I go, but how can they pay themselves first? They can't even afford to pay me 10 bucks. But you know what? We just said, you're going to sacrifice. My dad sacrificed, people sacrificed. Now there are people who didn't believe me. They had to spend the money and they wouldn't They wouldn't open up that automatic account from their checking to their savings or from their payroll check to their, to their 401k. So everybody can tell me what they want to tell me, but I know it's true because I've lived it and I continue living it and I've seen it, right? As poor as you can be it's not that you're saving, if you save a dollar, what's a dollar going to change? It's not the dollar, it's the mindset. And somebody once told me, if you see a penny in the floor, will you pick it up? If you see a penny on the floor and you're walking, will you stop by and pick it up? Do you value that? You know. And, and the other thing is that I teach people that money is, is a tool to live a better quality of life. I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. We're not going to take anything with us. And and money is to you to give you provide you financial dignity, right? My job in the body was to help a single mother buy save to buy a a new used car, right? That wouldn't break down because she had two jobs to support her two kids for the husband that had left her. My feeling was, people in, our, in poor communities to this day now it, it used to be now they have you know all these other funds that you can raise money, but growing up with a person in our neighborhood died a child who died in our neighborhood we would have to have car washes for the family sell t-shirts so we can take an, bring in enough money to bury that child jamie and to me that's disgusting when we don't have that in certain communities so so when you ask me is money a reflection absolutely and to this day you know my dad is from um mexico where they make the guadalajara next to where they make the tequila. Um, came here when he yeah, had with a sixth grade education, started his own business, could barely speak English. He's five, three, heavy set. And yet he's 87 and fully retired and has traveled the entire world and has probably a million dollars in the bank right now. Because you know what? His son who started helping him at the age of 13, basically just put everything on automatic pilot for him. Dad, you need, you need uh life insurance for my mom. I read in a book that you should get term insurance. Don't get the, the, the cash value, get term. And, oh, Okay. And I go, no, no, no. I already called an insurance agent. I made an appointment. You have to like pee in a cup, dad. And you got, they're going to draw blood. When? They're going to come to the house, dad. I already made the appointment. Dad, I read in a book that you, that this thing called a will and a trust and whatever, because you own real estate. And if you die and my mom dies, there's this thing called probate. So I made an appointment with the estate planning attorney uh, where he goes, I'll be there. Okay. So no, no, I know you're not going to be there, but I'm going to stop by and pick you up, my mom up and, and take you there. Hey, hey, dad, you, you have a business. We need to put you in a, uh, do the, you know, whatever was QuickBooks back then. Uh, we get to do your tax return. Hey, dad, we really should incorporate. And he goes, oh, okay. And he goes, okay, well, so I already went through the Secretary of State. I filed the papers and, and I made you a, a corporation, dad. So if you go to my website, IPWadvisors.com, it doesn't say financial planning. It says financial doing. And so what I've learned is that for poor people, for most people, they're so busy with their lives. They got to take their kids to parent-teacher night. They got to do whatever. We decided that it was a firm for the people that it's not that they don't want to. Sometimes they don't know how to and they just embarrassed to ask you how to implement. And then life gets in the way. So that's kind of how it it all stems everything that I do.
1: I 100% agree with you because it feels overwhelming. It is. Like, you you know, you hear all this stuff and you're just like, oh, I can't do that. I can barely get by. And you just brush it off. Do you know what I mean? You just, you're brushing it off. And it's so difficult. I know I I've felt that way before. Where it's like, I don't even have time. I know I need to go do this. I need I need to do this. I need to start, get the 401k. I need to do a Roth IRA. I need to do all these things. But you're like, oh, I just don't have the time or you to do the research. And so we don't do it.
0: I fill out the apps. I go on, I go online with you. I go, we're going to pick this investment. Just click there, click there, click there. I, I, uh, I schedule the appointment. I'm in the meetings with you in the Zoom call with the estate planning attorney. I am, or my, one of my staff members is rolling the money. Don't worry about it. We'll take it over the education plan. You know, I will tell you, with the education plan in the community, what we do is, um, I call it the ABCDs, but one is is most of the kids in my community, their parents are blue-collar workers who never went to college. So instead of saying, well, what college would you want your kid to go to? How many years do you have left? Yada, yada, yada. It was, bring me your kid's report card. On a level of one, on self-esteem, we would have them take a self-esteem test. You know, I'll tell you what is: if the kid's getting C's and D's, has low self-esteem, low test-taking abilities are doing poor in math and English, I don't care how much money I have saved, if their parents are not engaged in the school process, they're never going to go to college. What good is a 529 plan going to do me?
1: I've wondered so this. The- I've wondered this. That's what I always wonder. Why do they tell us to do it if the kid doesn't even want to go to college even? So,
0: we, so we, but we take the hundred bucks, we take the hundred bucks, because let me tell you, as a parent... I've got three grown-up children. I've got eight grandchildren. But as a as a grandfather and as a parent, I want my kids just to be happy, healthy, and successful. I don't care what they're doing. But the point is this: if they want to go to college, that's great. But if my kids getting C's and D's, they're not going to do well again. If they're not paying, if they're good in English or math, right? I don't care if they're getting C's and D's in in, in uh, I don't know to some uh, art class or something. Unless they're going to be an artist, but. The point, though, is that if they were getting season D's, we would use a hundred bucks that the parent would have to put away for a five twenty nine plan, and we would hire a tutor to get the kids' grades. Because when the kids' uh, grades go up in English or math, guess what? There's a lot more confidence. When there's a lot more confidence, it's just kind of a self fulfilling thing. And so, uh, people come to me and they say, "You know, we want to retire in the next ten or fifteen years." The first thing I say, oh, "Really?" I said, "Well, how's your marriage?" On a scale of one to ten, where's your marriage? And most. Men are oblivious to where their marriages are. They'll tell me, oh, we're we're not perfect. You know, we have our fights and we're probably a level eight. I honestly, I swear to you that I've had women tell me in the same meeting when he told me it's an eight, oh, uh, I'm um, probably about a five or six. (laughs) And I said, really? And I said, so where would you be? Where would you have to be on that scale to contemplate divorce? Probably a four. And it's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So then I'm thinking, wait, wait, tell me about in 20 years when you're retired, you still see yourself like, you know, I... We busted our, my my parents who've been married uh, 62 years, like 10 years ago, like at Disneyland. They never told us. They were holding hands because my, my wife and I, we live about eight miles from Disneyland. And we took a little uh, ride. We went in the evening and we saw my parents, my mom and dad, holding we saw them from afar. and go, is that my parents? And they were holding hands and they would have been married like 52 years and they go, that's how I want to be. And so the thing is that on a scale of, if you're at a level four at five and you think at four, you go to the divorce. Well, we got to work on this because what are we saving the retirement money for? For the divorce attorney or what? So, again, I go back to financial planning has been this this facade to really sell a product. I don't care what they tell me. At the end of the day, it's to sell a product, right? I do the planning. But there are there, there is a movement out there for people to start really doing, to really asking people what's really important and how, how do we use your money to get you to where you really want to be? And at the end of the day, you know, where do you want where do you see yourself with your husband 25 30 years from now are you still holding hands right god forbid that you know we terrible things can happen to you and people get sick and die and whatever but do you still do you see yourself holding hands with them are your grandchildren happy to to see you because you are, are you the you know are you the role model to their lives when they meet their their spouses because you and I know that your partner whoever you have as a partner is one of the most uh, it, most important, uh, impactful things that you can do to select to for success in your life, emotionally happy, spiritually happy, and also to be wealthy.
1: To be wealthy even. So you think a happy marriage means you're more successful and you, you do better when it comes to money?
0: So on the scale of one to 10, if I asked that person that I said, well, she said it was a four, right? I'm going to share with you, we actually used some of their money to go to a uh, marriage counseling and they stayed married. And he didn't realize that he was being a buffoon with, you know, he thought that, hey, if he worked hard and gave his wife his money and he goes out with his friends that it was important to him. He realized that he was not doing the things that he should be doing to, to build his relationship. We were talking in the past about saving an additional $500 a month for his marriage. But guess what? For all of a sudden, maybe consciously or unconsciously now, she found another $500 to put away towards retirement. Because maybe unconsciously thought, you know, maybe I'm not going to be with this guy 5, 10 years from now. Maybe I'm going to put this money on the side or whatever. I don't know. The point is that, the, the thing is this, when, I, when the parents found out that the kids were now doing well in school, they went from C's and D's to, to B's, not even A's, B's, the parents found more money to put away for college. When, when you're communicating with your husband and, and, and you're compromising, but you guys are on the same page, it's like rowing a boat. If you're rowing a boat a different way, you're never going to be effective efficient. It doesn't matter with any part of your relationship and, and even money. But if you both are committed and you have a, a purpose and you're working together, you'll you'll say, hey, let's not go to that trip, let's go to this trip, and let's put the money away for the future or let's put it money away for my for my son or for my grandkids. But there's a but you're working together in harmony. And I will share with you unconsciously, when you're not happy with that person, your spouse, you're not rowing the boat the same way. And sometimes you're just going in this big circle. And guess what? You're spending money because you're just not happy. So now guess what? You're not happy with him. So I'll just go buy, I'll go to the Louis Vuitton store. Hell, I'm going to spend $3,000 on a purse <laughs> for myself or whatever. I'm not, you know, some people don't do that, but I'm just letting you know There's that th- I know that's There are people to that true. do.
1: I've seen them do it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I can't agree with you more on that. I think when people are the most miserable is when they seem to spend the most money <laughs> to try to make themselves feel better. We do things yeah. to try to ease the pain, I guess, or depression. We go on more trips. We do more things and spend money we don't have. It's like a vicious cycle. And then we get depressed because now we're even in more debt.
0: It's horrible. Jamie, it's, uh, I go back to in the world of financial planning or investments. Honestly, everything's almost being commoditized at this point. Everything is in indexed ETF, right? For mutual fund index ETF. Insurance, either you're buying term or you're buying an index universal life if you got enough money to do that, right? And I tell people don't don't do an IUL unless you have like ten thousand dollars or more that you can commit to every year for the next seven to ten years. Otherwise, don't even think about it. The biggest difference is going to be your mindset and how. So, if you go to my website, it's all about money and happiness. Because I'm gonna right away when I ask somebody about your, you know, your marriage, um, are you happy? Yeah, I don't ask you are you content, are you satisfied, are you happy? Because yeah, I wake up and sometimes like, I'm not happy. I'm right now. I'm not happy. Like right now, I'm not happy about my weight. So. I'm going to go on a lower carb diet and this I'm not happy. Are you happy? With, no, I'm not happy with the way I am right now. So that's going to cause me to change something, right? And I got to execute it. And when it comes to finances, like I said, money is just a tool to live a better quality of life because I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse and you can only help uh, your, your other people to live whatever. So if there are dreams and goals and, and 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 whatever your soul is talking to you and telling that you need to experience this lifetime, you need to be brave enough to invest in it and not have anybody or any industry scare you into putting so much money away for the future that you might not even enjoy the present. And so the thing is, how do I invest money in myself to you know, express my full potential and live my highest purpose?
1: I think that's the hard part. And I don't think anyone really talks about it. All the things you're saying, no one really talks about that stuff. You've know, we've talked to other CFPs. They just tell you where to invest your money. They don't really talk about all the mechanisms and things to go into it.
0: It's ego-driven, right? Um, when I first started, oh, I'm going to show you how to make money. It's, it's, it's all BS. Let's let's be honest. I mean, if, if most people just put money in, in an S&P 500 fund, I think that would be fine. But here's the thing. The goal is, my goal is, a lot is behavioral. I'm going to put them in a well-diversified investment portfolio to minimize the ups and the downs so they kind of stay in the market because we know that if you stay in the market long-term like my clients have, they're going to be fine. But the problem is, Are you happy? And are there things in your life? Like for example, if you tell me, if you you and I sat down and we said, well, one of my values and one of my top, most top values is marriage, and I said, okay, great. Show me your budget. Okay. Because we'll do a budget one time. That's it. Show me your budget. So where are you investing in your budget to have a happy marriage or a great marriage or a great relationship? Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. Where are you? I, I want to have, uh, you know, I know that I'm going to have my kids probably at my oh, 14, 15, because when they're teenagers, they don't even want to see me anymore. And then after that, they go to college, yada, yada, yada. Great. So you want to you build memories with your child? Is that what you want to do? Yeah. So where in your budget do we have there building memories for my kids? Right. It doesn't have to be that you're spending a lot of money, but sometimes, you know what? It is that you want to take time off. And time off says when you're taking time off, you're not getting paid for yeah. that time off. Right. So that's in the budget. So, so let's just build, what are you trying to do? Because again, the problem is everybody talks about this. Again, we're all going to die. We just don't know when. And and at the end of the day, I just feel that, that our industry has created so much fear to be able for you to, you know, I said, look, when you buy life insurance, it's because you love your children, not because you want to give income. I mean, you don't want your kids to be in a dire state of your family. Things can happen. What could happen? You can get cancer and die, you can get shot, you can get, you can slip and fall in the bathtub, you can do so many things, but the problem is you haven't built enough wealth to take care of your kids, um, and not to make them wealthy, just so they can have a dignified life and have a roof over their heads. I can't tell you how many times I will ask a, a father, a Latino father, on a scale of what one, one to ten, how much do you love your family? Eleven. How much you love your wife? An eleven. How much do you want on a scale of one to ten, how much do you love your children? An eleven. But you still don't want to get life insurance it's not a want it's a need buddy and you still don't want to get it so what the hell's up what's going on up here that you're not willing to do that
1: because you mentally think you can't afford it there's some block that makes you think that because you haven't someone hasn't talked to them the way you're talking to them
0: can I, can I share with you one thing one of the Latinos that most people don't know but, is that I at the beginning when I first went back to the Latino community to work in the space and help them out I said dad these families, like it's a, there's one bread earner, the, the wife is home taking care of the three kids and they don't want to buy life insurance. It's not that expensive. What's going on? He goes, dad, he goes, mijo, it's the the Sancho syndrome. And I go, what the hell is that? And he said, Latino men believe that if they die and leave the wife with lots of money, that the next guy, the Sancho, is going to end up taking You got to be shitting right? Well, I can me, right? see That's that.
1: What- I can't. I, let's be honest. A okay. lot of people might think I don't want to leave it. So she goes off with the next guy and he's benefiting from my hard work.
0: So I get together with an estate planning attorney in East LA, right? Who says, Hey, how would I go about making sure that we can get money to the kids and the, and the wife? And he goes, well, there's this thing called a trust and we can do an AB trust where the money goes into his trust, her trust, but she manages for the kids. But if she remarries, you know, that those assets are for the kids, they're managing it. And then I said, why don't we call that the AB trust? Let's call it the Sancho clause. And, (laughs) and I know it's Santa Claus, right? It's me being silly, but The point, though, is is that we called it the Sancho Clause, and I would explain to the the husband, listen, I know that you're probably thinking about the Sancho. Let me overcome that. And so guess what? I I killed two birds with one stone. Not only did I get the insurance done, but I got the estate plan done for the family, right? And so they go, you can do that? Yes. How do we do that? Well, let me explain to you what this AB Trust or this Sancho Clause does. And he goes, let's get it done. Let's get the insurance. All of a sudden, the whole concept of I don't have enough money went away. Listen... We all get to the point where, man, I need a car, I need a car, I need a car, but I can't afford a car. My car's breaking down. Shoot. And then finally you go to the car dealer or you go to the shop and it says, it's going to be 7,000 bucks and you go, damn, I might as well just buy a car. Right? You, you didn't have the money to buy the car. Then you go to the car dealer the next day and then you walk out with a loan, right? A car loan yep. that you couldn't afford the day before. Right. So what it is, is that is that we've made up all these stories. We can afford it. I have I had people in my community who who wouldn't buy life insurance, but then they would go see, like one of my clients who used to be Jenny Rivera, they'd go, go see her concert And she was charging way back then, like 250 to 300 bucks a ticket. I go, you went to the concert and you guys spent, let's say 250, 500 bucks plus dinner, probably 700 bucks for that night. And then you can't afford life insurance. No, because
1: that's a priority. They were putting that that, as the priority. They're entertainment. Entertainment's their priority. And a lot of people. That's a
0: one night. Right.
1: And then some people, it's, they try, want to look a certain way for their friends or people and they get competitive with them. And that probably has a lot to do with ego. Like you said and self-esteem
0: it's not understanding what's important but the other thing like for example Latinos have these things called quinceaneras a lot of money on
1: those I don't know how people afford them
0: right well they can afford them if you're wealthy but if you're poor they are still spending a lot of money on them and so here's the thing still a lot I used to say well because I was taught very Americanized way when I was told oh how stupid is that they could they're not gonna send their kids to college yada 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 then I realized how important it was for the grandparents, how important it was for the parents, because it's very cultural. And so I never said, we're not gonna do a plan for a quinceanera, but I said, let's go ahead and sit down and plan the life cycle of a parent. Let me ask you, do you want your kid to go to college? Yes. Um, do you plan to help them out with getting a little used car when they go to college? I mean, yeah, yeah, that's in my plans too. Okay, what about um, if they were to get married, would you pay for help pay for the wedding or whatever? And they would say, well, yeah, we want to help that. So it's, let's take a look at all what you're going to need. So actually, I would get the parents, instead of spending, you know, let's say now $40,000 on a quinceanera, they're spending 10000 15000 on a quinceanera, not going to, you know, they're spending a lot less. So we have room for other stuff, right? So again, I go back to, I have to be culturally sensitive to what's important to them. And I can't bring in my own belief systems. My daughters didn't have quinceaneras. I didn't spend all that money on quinceaneras. I spent it on other, I spent it on other stuff because again, Um, their mom, um, didn't believe in it either. She's a a Latina who's an attorney. And, and so they, they, and they didn't care. They didn't want, they didn't want it as well. They didn't ask me for it, but I'd rather spend the money on college for them. I'd rather spend the money on other stuff for them. So, so the thing is that everybody's different, but at the end of the day though, I, I want to honor, I want to honor what's important to them, but maybe by showing them what other priorities they want. To help their kids with, maybe they're willing to sacrifice and not spend as much, and put more money away for for things that create more of an impact for them. Right. Um, going back to the kids, the, the the Latino culture, I think that I was going to try to tell you earlier was that a lot of a lot of I had girlfriends, not girlfriends, but I had friends that were girls and women in East LA who had been accepted. I got accepted to the UCLA. One had been accepted. I think I forget um, what school back east. It was a it was one of those Ivy League schools for women back east, and she had all everything paid for. She's an incredible student. And the Latino parents will say, no, you're not going to go. You have to go to the community college here. And I will share with you that anybody who's listening to us who's Latina knows what I'm talking about. Because the parents say, oh, mija, the belief system is you're going to get hurt. I, can't, I don't have the money to go take care of you. And what's wrong with going to East LA College versus going to Princeton? It's the same thing. You can just, you know, whatever. It's, it's the same thing. It's not the same thing. You and I know it's not the same thing. But for them, it was this whole concept. Again, these are all these belief systems that we have in our head that we've created, that we've made up. And and so, um, again, I know I can't, but if I could help people use their money to to live their their highest purpose, right, and express their full potential, what would that look like without fear? And so, sometimes having a little bit of cash users allows you to take some risk, right? It allows you to take some risk, go get another job or do whatever. But that's that's my goal. You know, I want people to be able to use money um, to make work optional. You know, I I love what I do so much. When you ask me when I'm I going to retire, Jamie, it's going to be the day that you call me with the yeah, on, on this podcast or whatever, and I'm, I'm like my head's down on the ground here, and you can't lift me up anymore. That's when I retire because I love what I do so much. The the goal is how do I help people also transition into jobs that they think that they will never retire because they love it so much. You know, I've got young attorneys, female attorneys, who hate being attorneys, but they're earning so much money and got used to a certain lifestyle that it's like, they don't want to go backwards. Yeah, And I go, you're not going backwards to find yourself, but they cry, you know, because they hate their job and they hate their life. And they're working so many hours. They're working 80 hours a week and no time for their family, no time for their spouses. And, you know, it's just horrific.
1: When it comes to money advice that's out there, what is one piece of money advice right now that's out there that we should not follow?
0: One piece of financial advice, I'm seeing everybody and their mom selling right now index universal life, uh, like life insurance with cash value. And I think it's a proper product for the right person. But I think that that's something that, um, needs to be very careful in, in understanding why you're doing something. So I, I will share if you, if you're telling me what, what, what's out there right now in the community, what that I see, at least in my community, being sold and being I, I think it's kind of mind manipulated into into buying something because hey I can automatic saving life insurance tax-free so it's not it, it it's for the right people but not for everybody
1: one thing that you've taught me today Louis is you need to be careful when it comes to who you listen to when it comes to your advisor when it comes with your money because like you said a lot of people are out there just to make money and their own ego and they don't really care about you and what's important to you as a, an individual and why you're actually wanting to save money and what's important to you and the things that mean the most to you.
0: Jamie, when you're sitting in front of anybody, you, you take a deep breath and feel the sense. I know this is terrible, but it's like, go with your gut. Is this a person that I can trust? I can respect and I can like, and I can work with long time. And, and there's a lot of, the problem is there are a lot of con people In any industry with doctors and lawyers and financial planning, but do you feel that they really have your highest and best interest? I know that people on your show, because I listen to your podcast, always talk about the fiduciary uh, role, but I know fiduciaries that have done bad things. They tell you that they're fiduciaries. They're not really fiduciaries. They they, they hide behind the fiduciary uh, wall. Pay attention to how they're telling you. Pay attention to what their lifestyles are like. Pay attention to who they're really helping. Listen to with your heart and listen with your gut and then make a decision if you want to work with that person. Where did that recommendation come from? I know people who will recommend bad people because they don't want to be the only ones that made a dumb mistake. So they want to bring their friends in to make that same dumb mistake because they feel like now if they make the same mistake, maybe I'm not so dumb, right? Uh, we know that we've all done. You know, we all the hey, that's you horrible. know what?
1: That's horrible. That's yeah, horrible.
0: But it, but it's true, right? And so people will, will, you know, say, hey, come and use my guy because he's fantastic. Or what do you do? I put you in an IUL policy, and you know, and, and let me tell you what he's going to do. Um, so the thing is, because you don't want to feel like you're the only schmuck that took that recommendation. So you know, just just be honest, just be transparent for advisors. That that's all that we want. So,
1: Lewis, there's a question I love to ask all my guests, and that is. What does live richer mean to you? I mean, you've kind of told me a lot of things, but if it was just like in a couple of words, what does living richer mean to you?
0: Living richer means to me that I have freedom, freedom to do the things I want to do when I want, when I have time to do them um, at any time. That's what living richer means, is just being able to to have enough money to 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 do what I think I'm meant to do on this earth while I'm here.
1: Thank you so much for all of your advice and helping people to see past their stop sign in their community and to know that they can have their dreams and they can have all those things they want, even though they, maybe the world's telling them they can't, the news everywhere, but they can. And what you're doing, Lewis, is amazing and I appreciate you so much coming on the show today.
0: Thank you, Jamie. I'm, I'm ecstatic. Uh, thank you so much for the, the podcast interview and all the great work you're doing as well.
1: Yeah, and I want to remind all of you to live richer.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Before you go, we'd love for you to subscribe to our show to catch all of our updates. Also, we want to hear from you. What are your burning questions about money and how to live your best life? Reach us at LiveRicherPod at
1: GoBankingRates.com.